Do you believe that it's possible to worship God anytime, anywhere, with anyone, along to any song, or maybe even no music at all? If you do, you might be in the minority. Seems that worship has become a very conditional thing. Sometimes it can be the room aesthetics. I can just worship better if I'm surrounded by stained glass. Or maybe, no, that, that actually takes me out. I, the stage lights really helps me connect. Maybe it's attire. Maybe you feel just a sense of reverence when you wear Sunday best. But somebody else is like, no, that's not what I get out of it. It's come as you are. There's no condition that I see more conditional to worship than music, though. There's a story Jesus tells about how it's not the condition of the worshiping, but the condition of the worshiper that, that makes it happen. It's an offering is transformed by the heart of the worshiper. And he tells us there's this great story in uh, that Jesus tells about the widow's offering. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money in the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. So the condition of her heart transformed the condition of the offering. So two coins, or two cents... Before I came to South Park to do communications, I do the e-newsletter and the website, stuff like that, I was a worship minister for over 20 years. And, you know, I saw a lot of people offering their two cents after the service, but it didn't have, it didn't come across with the heart of this widow. You know, after every worship service came the customer service where I was told what people didn't like, what they did like, more of this, less of that, can't worship to this, I can worship with that. And it could be frustrating at times um, and confusing, but it really got me asking, what does make worship possible? What could I do that makes it more possible for you or less possible for you or both at the same time or maybe impossible for you? It really got me asking. And so... We're going to look at, at some lessons about that, but first, um, to our song, we're in a series, Summer Sounds, Bible Truths and the Songs We Love, and we're taking songs, looking at the lyrics and how they illustrate some Bible truth. Um, well, today's song, you may not know it, I'm not sure you're going to love it, <laughs> but it does uh, illustrate something really, really powerful. It's a song entitled 433 by American composer John Cage. So normally we'd pull up the lyrics and look at the lyrics and then connect some scripture, but this song doesn't have any lyrics. So maybe it's in the music. Well, the music 
Here's the sheet music. There are no B flats or quarter notes here. There's no notes, just these, it says one tacit, two tacit, three tacit. Tacit is a musical term for don't play. So the only other thing in this music, which costs $12.99, by the way, <laughs> is this note. It says the title of this work, which is 433, is the total length in minutes and seconds of its performance. At Woodstock, New York, August 29, 1952, the title was 433, and the three parts were 33 seconds, 2 minutes and 40 seconds, in one minute, 20 seconds. It was performed by David Tudor, pianist, who indicated the beginnings of the parts by closing, the endings by opening, the keyboard lid. However, the work may be performed by any instrumentalist or combination of instruments, instrumentalist, and last any length of time. So, you're gonna hear that now. There's not a grand piano up here, so I can't really do the key lid thing, so I thought, let's do this on upright bass. This song may have never been performed on upright bass, so we might be making history here. So to start the song, I'm just going to start my timer and set it down, and then to end it, I'll pick it up. I'm getting tuned real quick.
Thank you. I'm available for weddings, birthday parties. So I've performed that several times, um, and I typically lead a discussion afterwards because it's so fascinating to hear the different reactions, if you think it's music or not. But more interesting to me is the experience. I've had people say, you know, oh, wow, this is the first quiet I've gotten in 18 years, you know, or excruciating agony, like all the, was it quiet? Was it completely silent? Heard the clicking of Marshall's camera, maybe something going on with the air. I could, I moved my head and my uh, vertebrae clicked and I was like, <laughs> could they hear that? Um, so it's not silent, but the noise that can come up within us at that time is really interesting how we react. Um, so the reaction at the first concert, first time it was performed, it was in this Maverick concert hall, which was an outdoor theater. So you could probably hear all kinds of ambient noise. But here's what the piano player had to say after the performance. There were a lot of artists, even at that time in Woodstock, and they were incensed. They were in an uproar over the performance. Afterwards, John opened the floor to questions, and one of the artists got up and said, good people of Woodstock, I think we should run these people out of town. That was the reaction. So this song is legendary. Again, the guy's charging $12.99 for blank paper. <laughs> and other people hate it. How can love, love it and hate it, legendary and loathing it, how can that come from the song? Is that stuff embedded in the song? Or is that something we bring to it? And that, so the song, it illustrates a point in art that all art is co-created. Here's a way a couple of people say that. Drummer Billy Martin said, art is activated by the receiver. You've probably heard this expression. Our, uh, author Margaret Wolf Hungerford coined, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And this goes beyond music, but to all of life, um, Carl Jung, psychologist, uh, is paraphrased as saying, perception is projection. We don't just see stuff, we project onto it. You know, the singers up here this morning, musicians, they did something with an intent. And the songs they, they led were written by people with an intent. But after, it can't be pushed onto us. Once it leaves the stage, there's something that we do with it. And so just as all art is co-created, all worship is co-led. And so if that rubs you a little raw, makes you a little uncomfortable, I, I want to just let you know that, you know, I learned this myself. I'm not pointing fingers. This is something I had to learn. Before I was a Christian, I was a musician, and before I was a worship musician, I was a jazz musician. And, you know, Jesus changed my life, turned everything around. But that had to integrate with my, the life I was living, too. And here I am as a career musician. So Saturday night, I'm playing songs by John Coltrane, Miles Davis, deep stuff, exciting, meaningful stuff. And this is a long time ago. I would go to church on Sunday morning, and we're singing, Spring up, oh well, gush, 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 gush. 
First of all, as a musician, what is that? <laughs> but even as a worshiper, gush, gush, gush? That's my response to Jesus dying on a cross for my sins? I just didn't get the whole thing, and I didn't like it. Yet here I am, a musician that Christ has redeemed, and I want to give that back to him. So I got in ministry kind of begrudgingly, just doing the best I can um, with it. I even went to Bible college, and things turned around for me this day when the professor wrote this on the board. It's Philippians 4.8. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And so after he read that out, he drew a TV around it. And his point was to say, hey, be careful what you watch. Is it really honoring to God? So he taught it as a sense of prohibition. But in that moment, I saw that it was also permission like, whatever is honorable, whatever is true. And I'm not saying, my point isn't go out and watch Lord of the Rings or, or Star Wars and call that worship. You totally can. But what hit me in that moment was that I could bring that to gush, gush, gush. That I could bring that. And so where I was formerly triggered, I looked, started to look for a glimmer okay, this triggers me, my judgment, but what glimmers with a glimpse of God? And so to dig into this a little bit more, we're going to look at John 4, the key uh, New Testament passage on worship uh, known as the woman at the well, and see how Jesus could whatever anything. So it starts out um, him getting to this scene. He left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. That's the long way around. It's been a long day. He's probably not in the best mood. The conditions weren't ideal. And you can relate to that. If you've ever had little kids and you have to wake them up for church, get them dressed and fed and checked in and here on time, you might come walking in here not in the best of moods. And then it says, um, he finds himself in Samaria, and it says, Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Now, there's a lot we could go in there, but the, the point is, he was not with his people. Do you ever feel like that? You may think, I don't feel like that, because there are a lot of tall, 40-plus white dudes here, okay? But that doesn't mean that I always feel like I'm included, like I always belong. You know, Sunday morning conversations are like, uh, about TV shows I've never heard of or sports. I don't know anything about sports. People are like, what about them cubs? What about them bears? And I'm like, did you go to the zoo this weekend? I don't know. And so lastly, he's at Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. So the sixth hour, that means um, this time at that time was measured by daylight hours. So basically noon, it had been a long day. His disciples have gone out for food. So he's hot, tired, and hungry. Now you probably can't relate to that at church because we keep you cold. Why are churches so cold? 
We keep you caffeinated and we keep you full of donuts. But either way, you know what it's like to come in and conditions not be ideal to worship. But look what Jesus is capable of doing. He can whatever anything. Jesus answered to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So a cup of water glimmers with a message about living water. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Not really setting the scene for throwing hands up in the air and hallelujah, but he could turn a direct conversation about adultery into something about wholeness. And lastly, after the whole John 4 scene, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So here we are at mealtime, and he can talk about missions. Jesus was able to worship anytime, anywhere. So he could also worship with anyone. The, the woman that he was talking to brought up this issue and said, so here's a, someone's asking Jesus about worship. And she says, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. So on the surface, it looks like she's asking about right or wrong. Is it this way or that way? But between the lines, I really think it's not the right way or the wrong way, but who's Right. Is it us or them? She says, our fathers or you Jewish people. How often is that the case? I mean, for real, has a young person ever been angry and said, we need more hymns? Has a seasoned saint ever demanded louder drums? And how often are the the things that we think are right and wrong, they're really about how, you know, not what's the right way to do it, but it's simply the way we've always done it. There's a a great story about this monk. Um, He would go to the temple every day to pray. His disciples would follow after him. Peculiar thing, he had this pet cat, and he'd walk it on a leash. So every day they'd walk to the temple. The monk would tie the cat to the leash, go in and pray while his disciples waited. Well, this went on day after day, year after year, until finally the monk died. The disciples kept walking that cat every day and tying it up until one day the cat died, so they got a new cat. That's a joke, I, so I didn't do that well, but that was, that was so funny to me. <clears throat> so are we doing, are we worshiping just the way we've always done it and thinking that's right or wrong? That's essential or that's what can get us there. So um, here's how Jesus responded to her. He didn't answer this or that, this way, that way, us, them. He said, woman, believe me. And so my challenge is, what, if I'm triggering you in any way, can you see what this says? Someone asked Jesus, and he said, he's about to tell her, what are the conditions for worshiping? And let's see what he said. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, 
The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So the first thing I notice here is, is what the Father is seeking. How often do I come in a sanctuary concerned with what I am seeking? But it's very clear. The conditions are not us, them, right, wrong, old, new. It's spirit and truth. Now, why did Jesus not unpack these words here? Because you can read that and just read into it, project into it. Well, everything I do is spirit and truth. But John 4 comes after John 1, 2, and 3. And there's some clues to what these mean. Let's, um, let's take a look at a couple. So in John 3, Nicodemus, a Jewish ruler, has seen Jesus in action and is like, he knows what's up. And I'm going to go ask him what this whole eternal life thing is about. And Jesus' response is, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. So it's the spirit, not my music, not your music, not my clothes, not your clothes. It's the spirit that makes worship possible, that reveals. And if we look at truth, this is a couple things earlier in John 1. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So that's it. Those are the conditions for worshiping, is spirit and truth. The spirit reveals that Jesus is the way. What's the right way? Jesus said, I am the way. So if anything glimmers with that, whether it really works with my taste or not, can it help you taste and see that God is good? We're going to look at the next slide. So um, bringing it back to our song, when someone asked the composer, John Cage, like, why did you write 433? And he said this, I have nothing to say, and I'm saying it. I think that's really profound. In, in John 4, that's where we go to see Jesus define what worship is. And I think what he said is just as important what he didn't say. He didn't say it's about this or that, my way or their way. It's about does this glimmer with uh, the Spirit revealing what Jesus is in my life? Now, does that sound idealistic? Yes. We're here because we believe in ideals. Is it, is it far-fetched? No, because of something else Jesus said. I'm sorry, it's on the next slide. With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. What if God knew that with you, spirit and truth were the only conditions for triggering your worship, for receiving your worship. Is that going to take, you know, it's possible with God, but is that really going to take a miracle that we can all join in something for a purpose? Well, there's another song 
that millions of lost people who don't know Jesus are going to sing today and, and prove how easy it is. Is today, anybody in here, is today anybody's birthday? Raise your hand, please. I know someone who's birthday. Who, what's their name? What's your friend's name? Ben? Ben. Finn. Great. So let's sing. You can tell them to watch the replay. <clears throat> let's sing Happy Birthday to Finn. Here we go. Happy Birthday to Great job, everybody. So why does happy birthday work? Why does happy birthday always work? I mean, it doesn't require a skilled song leader for that. You just have to say, ah, that's it. It can be out of time, out of tune. It ends up in 30-part harmony. It works every time. And even strangers will join in. Have you ever been at a restaurant and the table way over there starts singing happy birthday and you sing with them and everyone else does and you don't ask for permission. It's just we're all in on this thing. And even at a workplace where you know that Karen in accounting hates Bryce in sales with a passion. <laughs> but they get in the break room and someone says, ha, ah, and they can sing together. Why does that work? every time. Now, it might have something to do with it's followed by cake. <laughs> but it's because of one thing. Their focus is on the guest of honor. That's all it takes outside of church. What if that's all it took inside of church as well? So to end, um, our song 433, was that music or not? Well, whether you, whatever you think, it's been classified as a genre of music called chance music. And chance music is where the composer builds in the unknown. We don't know what's going to happen in this section. We, it's going to be different every time. And they, um, so they're embracing the unknown. They're relinquishing control. And there's an amount of faith in the audience. And so... Worship music's a lot like chance music. You didn't know that I was, you know, worshiping in general. You didn't know that I was going to teach, that Kyle wasn't going to be here. Our, our normal worship leader up here, Cole's not here. You didn't know that. You didn't, probably didn't know some of the songs. Like, worship music is always taking a chance. But if the conditions are all that matters, is that something you really want to leave to chance? Well, you don't have to if you're equipped with this verse. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things.